From the Financial Times in London, I'm Fiona Simon and this is FT News. Paris is reeling from one of the worst terrorist attacks in Europe's history, an all-out assault on the heart of the city by a group of young men with Kalashnikovs and suicide vests. Simon Cooper, an FT writer who lives in the city, was witness to the events at close hand. He's on the line with me from Paris to describe what happened. Simon, thanks for joining us. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thanks. So, tell us where you were when the attack started, and can you describe how the events unfolded on Friday night? Well, I was in the Stade de France watching the France-Germany football match, and about 20 minutes into the game, there was a very loud bang, which seemed to come from outside the stadium. And in the crowd, a lot of people cheered and laughed, because I think they thought it was fireworks, which often happens at football matches. And I thought, it's a bit too loud for that. I don't think this is fireworks. And as we know now, that was actually the start of the Paris attacks. A few minutes later, there was another very loud bang and the ground shook. And I just got watching the match and I I went online and tried to find news, which was not forthcoming. And meanwhile, the crowd continued to watch the game. France scored um, about 20 minutes after the bangs and there was huge cheering. There was also a Mexican wave done, um, you know, late in the first half after the bangs. In the second half, France scored again. Everybody cheered. And what we now know is that the first bang seems to have been a suicide bomber who had tried to get admitted into the stadium. He had a match ticket and he tried to get in after 15 minutes and a steward spotted on the search that he was wearing a suicide vest, turned him away and the guy walked a few steps back and then blew himself up. And then there were two other suicide bombers. One also exploded just outside the stadium, I think, and one in a nearby McDonald's, all during the first half when the 80,000 crowd, when we were safely inside the stadium. And what we now not know, but what we believe and seems to be quite clear is that the aim was to explode the bombs inside the stadium among the 80,000 people there, thus causing huge carnage, much worse than actually happened in Paris on Friday night and also uh, provoking stampedes, which would have been deadly in themselves. So at the time, on the night itself, I can't stress how much confusion and uncertainty there was with me and with everyone in the stadium, and how the realization of what was happening dawned only very slowly. But what we now believe is that a mass carnage was planned for this match, which was live on TV, and in the presence of the president, Francois Hollande. How horrific. So when was it that you did actually realise that it was a terrorist attack? Um, I was hunting desperately for news online, and about 25 minutes after the attacks, there was the first report on a French website very briefly saying that there had been an explosion in a restaurant near the Stade de France, and so that suggested that that was terrorism. And then about half an hour after the attacks, there were the first very confused reports of shootings happening in Paris. And that suggested that what was happening at the Stade de France was linked to other terrorist attacks happening in Paris. But that all, you know, it it dawned, I suppose, within half an hour or an hour that there was a terrorist attack going on. And then the crowd began to realize by the end of the game, I would estimate that about a quarter or a fifth of the crowd had left the stadium because presumably people had found out on their phones that there was mass shooting in Paris and that um, either they weren't safe in the stadium or they should get home to their loved ones. So a lot of people had abandoned the match. And then when the final whistle went, a lot of people were reluctant to leave, thinking, you know, is it safe for me to go back into Paris? Is it safe to use public transport? 
and uh, several thousand people walked onto the pitch, not a pitch invasion, not rowdy, but just stood on the field, reluctant to leave and very uncertain. I saw some video on YouTube of people singing the uh, the Marseillaise as they left the tunnel. Did you see that? I saw those videos. I mean, I was in the stands watching all this until after the final whistle. I stayed very long. And then I went to the press room where the German journalists were all crowding around, wondering how they would get home because their flight, uh, they'd been told their flight would not be leaving. So they were there for a couple of hours. Meanwhile, inside the stadium, the German team were locked in their changing room. They did not want to leave. They did not dare to leave. There'd been a bomb threat at their hotel that morning. They'd had to evacuate their hotel. And they didn't know whether it was safe to leave the stadium. And I gather that some or all of the French players stayed with them, showing solidarity. You must have personally been quite alarmed at that stage as well, because you have family in Paris. How long did it take you to find out that they were okay? Of course, I immediately called home. Uh, My wife was out as well, and so I called the babysitter. Uh, You know, there was not much I could do. I told her, lock the door. The children were already asleep, thankfully, when the attack started. So the babysitter locked the door, and she, she slept in our house. And yes, I was, of course, hugely concerned. And then at about 2 a.m., I got a taxi with a couple of colleagues um, to my house, which is 400, 500 meters from the Bataclan, the club where the worst of the violence happened. And on my street, there were police vans, ambulances, and I thankfully got in and everyone was fine. And we've spent, I mean, like many Parisian families, the advice from the authorities has been not to leave the house unless absolutely necessary. And so we've spent the weekend inside. All activities were cancelled. And, of course, for the children, it's, it's very scary. It's frustrating because they can't play. They can't go out. So, yes, we've lived in a kind of cocoon, which is not the way to live in Paris. It's, you know, it's a city of public spaces, a city where you're supposed to enjoy um, the city. I mean, this is what I wrote in my article. This is not a city with backyards. This is not a city with barbecues at home where you can cocoon yourself and be with your family and shut out the world. You live in Paris in a small apartment to experience the city, to experience the world. And so when that becomes scary, the city crumbles. Do you, even though you've been inside for the last couple of days, I mean, do you get any sense of what the mood is like in the city and how Parisians are reacting? I have been outside a lot. I've been going around this neighbourhood Saturday morning after the attacks was very quiet and there were very few people out. Already by the afternoon, it had become much livelier. A lot of cafes and restaurants were closed. It wasn't that there were many people on terraces, which is the usual, you know, Paris thing. But people were out, uh, some were skateboarding, doing their shopping. I went to the side by the Bataclan, which has been sealed off. And there were a lot of people standing around talking, often arguing quite loudly, um, you know, in Paris, they like la contestation, contestation. So people were, were shouting their, um, their different views or accusing each other of disrespect. And uh, one very touching scene I saw actually was a group of Orthodox Jewish men uh, with skull caps chatting with a couple of Muslims with beards and uh, kind of explaining to each other religious practices. Jewish kosher eating and um, Muslim soras, and they were they were joking photographing themselves with each other. One of the Jews said to the Muslims, look, we Jews don't even agree with each other. And the Muslims said, happily, there is variety. And I think it was one of many signs 
in Paris that actually almost all of us just want to get along. You know, we we just want to live our lives like people everywhere. Living your own personal life with your friends and your family is difficult enough and good enough that for most people that's all there is. They're not engaged in some global, you know, clash of civilizations or some great religious ideology. Very few people have the time or interest for that. And Paris is a city where, you know, we live these incredibly interwoven daily lives, all 12 million of us. Almost everyone deals all the time with people of different ethnicities and knows them very well, often very intimately. So an attack like this, well, the city doesn't want to change. I think a lot of people in the city say, you know what, despite, you know, ethnic tensions and some degree of segregation, Paris is actually a miracle and it's a miracle like London of a very high level of ethnic harmony. I mean, there are 12 million people from all sorts of origins from all over the world. And mostly it works very well. I've checked the murder rate even after Friday night's attacks. The murder rate in Paris this year should be quite a lot lower, even after Charlie Hebdo and Friday night's attacks, even after the, the horrors we've had this year. We should end up with a murder rate that's quite a lot lower than New York, which, of course, is you know unprecedentedly safe and about the safest big city in America. So um, the idea that Paris is torn and burning and riven by ethnic divides is very dubious. That's certainly not the experience of daily life that many of us have here, not just in the center of the city, but also in the suburbs. The suburbs are much more mixed than people on the outside often seem to understand. Nevertheless, there's going to be anger, and I expect that people will be calling on the government to take action. What kind of pressure do you think the government will be under? Well, it's very unclear what the population wants. I mean, we have the example of the U.S. after 9-11, where there was this idea, okay, these people hit us, so we're going to go across the world, invade other countries, and kill the terrorists, and then we'll be okay. And I think certainly in France, the American approach after 9-11 is not seen as a brilliant success. And so France was already bombing ISIS targets. I'm sure that will continue and heighten. But I don't think France is planning and France doesn't have any more the military power for a kind of great global war against Islamic terrorism. They're not going to do a new global war on terror. I think what domestic politics will more be about is about immigration and refugees, which, which are already huge themes here. And I think the Front National will get a boost. They've been reasonably quiet about this because they want to be seen as kind of sober and not uh, politically opportunistic. But they don't even really need to say anything. You know, here were Islamic terrorist attacks on Paris. It's exactly the Front National's scenario. So there will be increased anxiety about immigration and refugees, I think, rather than that France is going to go on great military adventures. Okay, thanks. One final question. I mean, you wrote shortly afterwards that the attacks have made you question how long you personally would like to live in Paris with your family. Are you still feeling that response? I mean, I, I wrote in the article, I wrote it from the Stade de France, really in the midst of the of the horrors of Friday night. And I wrote, you know, at the time, this may be hysterical, but it is a question I'm asking myself. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm very interested in the idea of risk, and I know that people uh, have vastly false estimates of risk. For example, they worry about flying, but they tend not to worry about driving, which is uh, typically more dangerous. 
they worry about the risk of a terrorist attack. They don't worry about the risk of um, crossing the road or the risk of uh, eating hamburgers. So we, we're very bad at estimating risk. And I don't think that terrorism is, is the great threat to me personally or my family. But I think that if Paris does become a place where this kind of thing happens, not frequently, but, you know, more than twice, let's say, then you start to be wary of the public spaces. You think, should I go to that big football match or should I go to that concert hall or should I go to that theatre or should I go to that restaurant and what is that person doing in the corner of the cafe? Does he look a bit suspicious? Once you get suspicious and scared of public spaces, then the point of living in Paris disappears and do I want my children to grow up in an atmosphere where there is suspicion, where there is fear? I mean, for the last 10 months since Charlie Hebdo, they've got used to walking to school past soldiers with machine guns. They think that's quite normal. My daughter was more scared by the Charlie Hebdo attacks than by this one because she's now getting used to it, as she said to me. She's getting used to the idea that terrorist attacks happen occasionally, that that's just part of life. I mean, I didn't grow up like that. And uh, I'm not sure, you know, I would much rather my children did not. So um, I don't think we'll leave, but it is a question I have asked myself. Okay. Simon, thank you very much for that.